Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. Okay, so we are, we're in part two of our series called In the Kingdom. If you missed part one, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it on our website, candocfc.com. Uh, I think it was a great message that kind of set the stage for everything that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. I, I, I just get the feeling the more I dig into this topic, the more time we're going to need to take. Uh, this isn't something that we can rush through because we're talking about the very reason that we live this kingdom of Jesus. So part two, I'm, I'm excited about what we're going to learn today. Let's just rehash a little bit about part one so we can kind of flow from that into where we're going to be today. So last week we learned that God has a kingdom and Jesus is the king of that kingdom. God's kingdom resides in us, in our heart, in our soul. We recognize this kingdom by seeing God's good work in the lives of his people. He manifests his power in us and doing things in our lives and through our lives. That is the kingdom of God. And Jesus' kingdom is an absolute monarchy where everything Jesus does and everything he's created is for his glory. That's it and that's all. Today, our goal is to start to really get to know Jesus the king. So let's go back to something that we learned last week. Last week we learned that Jesus' kingdom is not a democracy or a republic. Now this means that we the people, because it's not a democracy or a republic, we the people of Jesus' kingdom, we have no power because there's no vote. We do not get to run the kingdom. That's the king's job. It's his privilege. Our opinions and our feelings don't change the laws that King Jesus has made. The kingdom is directed exclusively by the will and the desires of the king, Jesus. Now, because Jesus is the lawmaker for his kingdom, it's important for us to know Jesus. We want to understand where he's coming from, because if we don't take the time to do that, and he gives us a law that we don't necessarily agree with because we have a sinful nature, it could cause a divide. So we need to understand Jesus. We need to get him and know where he's coming from. In our human nature, and in the way our culture has conditioned us, people are far more individualized and self-focused today than we probably have ever been in human history. If we're honest, that's just the nature of our society right now. We don't like to hear that we don't have a say and that our opinions don't count in any area. So typically, when we hear that one person, in this case, Jesus, has all the power and all the authority in his kingdom, we can become a little skeptical. And we can, we can start to say, well, hang on a second here. I don't know if I like that. So over the next few Sundays, what we need to do in order to prevent that skepticism from creeping in is we're going to interview Jesus. We're going to ask some questions. We're going to get to know him as our king. And the whole goal of this interview and asking these questions is so that we're going to find out, is Jesus a good king? This is such a good question that's worth us asking. And it's funny how sometimes we don't even stop to think of these most basic questions. We grew up in church. We grew up in Sunday school. Yeah, of course Jesus is a good king. But 
Why is he a good king? We need to stop and ask these things. So let's pray, and then we're going to dig in and figure out the rest of these questions together. Father, all we want to understand today is that, yes, you are a good king. We want to understand, Jesus, that you are a good king. So we just pray that as we ask three super important questions today, you would be the one to speak into our hearts. Yet again, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. I don't think it's just going to be my words, and I don't just think it's going to be our own thoughts that will convince us that you're a good king. We need your Holy Spirit, Jesus, to do that work. So we call on you to act in power and strength in our lives so that we can understand you and cling to you because, yes, I believe you are a good king. Amen. All right, so three questions that we're going to ask today that's going to help us out to see if Jesus is a good king. Question number one is this. Why does Jesus want to be our king? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever asked, why does Jesus want to be my king? It's, it's a really good question. And I think some of us maybe say, well... Is he, does he want to be a king because it's like a power grab kind of situation? Is it because his ego just would refuse to let anyone else be king? Or is it like a status thing for him? No, I don't think it's anything like that. So let's head back to the beginning of, of time, the beginning of creation, to understand uh, this a little bit better. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created us with great care and purpose so that we would be like him. We need the one that we're meant to be like in our lives so that we will know how to be like him. If Jesus wasn't the king with authority in our lives, we wouldn't understand him. And therefore, we would struggle to be like him because we don't necessarily look to him as our king. So very simply, Jesus wants to be our king to lead us to be like him. So that's point number one under this question, but there's more reasons why Jesus wants to be our king. Still with the creation story in Genesis 1 verse 31, it says, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. If you're an artist and you create something good out of clay or you're a a carpenter and you create something good using wood, doesn't that bring you joy? Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't it make you pleased when you complete a project and it turns out, ooh, just the way we wanted it to, right? It seems that in God's creative nature, when God made us, we brought him joy when his creation was complete. That's why God, that's why God said when he stood back and looked at all he created, man, this is very good. So God delights in us, his creation. He takes pleasure in us. An artist doesn't create something like a painting and then say, wow, this is amazing. And then as soon as they're done looking at it, they take it and throw it in the garbage. No, they don't do that at all. They display that painting. They enjoy it. They hang it on the wall, looking at it often, remembering, oh, I remember how I put this together and how I love the process of creating this beautiful thing that gives me joy. I think that's what happens with Jesus. Jesus wants to be our king because he is still delighted with us. Repeat after me, even at home, I would encourage you, repeat after me. King Jesus delights in me. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that that is true. I hope that you will as well. In 1 John 4, verse 9 to 10, 
It, it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. So we see that Jesus delights in us. And because of that, he loves us, as we see here in 1 John 4. Jesus wants to be our king based on a motivation of love. He even came to earth to live among us, not just to rule over us from afar. He walked in our shoes. He faced the difficulties that we do. He endured temptation. Even people caused him grief. He knew that he was going to face all those things, but yet he still came to earth. Why would a king subject himself to a life like that? Clearly, It's because he loves us. There's no other reason that would make any sense that we would endure something because we love someone. So Jesus loved us enough that he subjected himself to enduring a difficult life here on earth. Jesus wants to be our loving king. And naturally, a king who loves us also cares deeply about us. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. That's right, friends. Jesus really does care about you and all the different things going on in your life, the good and the bad, the pleasant and the unpleasant. He cares about you and all of those things that you're enduring because his concern for you is based on his love for you. It's amazing, this trickle-down effect. Not only does Jesus care for us, but he's actually remarkably qualified to care for us. Something interesting in a familiar verse here, Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So yes, Jesus will give us rest. He will help us. That's often where we focus. I think that's a good thing for sure. But the first part of this verse catches my attention. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. You know what this means? This means that Jesus has looked at us And without us asking him, Jesus, we need your help. He actually said, oh, they need my help. He looked at us and he saw our need and he extended an invitation to us to come to him. This invitation isn't a response to us asking him, but it's actually his initiative to reach into our lives and extend us care. He recognizes that we were weary and burdened and we were living in a spiritually difficult situation because of our sin. And he said, no, no, no. Why don't you come to me? I can do something about your situation. Because of what he sees us dealing with, he has offered us, invited us to come to him and receive his help. So yes, we're created by him. He takes pleasure in us. He loves us. He cares about us. And that's why Jesus wants to be our king. Now, If someone's a little skeptical, they might say, well, sure, this sounds good. But honestly, Jeff, how long will this last? I know I get sick of people who are super needy and eventually I just need to like step away from them and take a breath. Surely God's going to do the same thing with me and he's going to get sick of me after a while. I don't believe that that's true based on everything I read in scripture. And one evidence is from Deuteronomy 31 verse 8 that says, do not be discouraged or afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Men, 
He will never abandon us. He will never fail us. That means that King Jesus not only loves us and cares for us, but he is loyal to us. He is so faithful. Jesus is in with you for the long haul. This is the kind of king that Jesus is. Hebrews 12 verse 2 calls Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith in him. That means that he's with us at the start. Yes, he gets us going in the right direction, but he doesn't just give us a push and say, I hope things work out well for you. No, he's with us. He's blazing a trail ahead of us, leading us in the way everlasting, leading us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, because not only is he the author or the starter of our faith, but he's the perfecter or the finisher, the completer of our faith. He's with us to the very end until we are perfected with him in heaven. One last reason why Jesus wants to be our king is that he's motivated by compassion for us, not power over us. If we stop and think about it, Jesus already has total power, doesn't he? We talked about that last week because he's the creator of everything. He now has authority. He has power over everything that he created. So Jesus isn't chasing power. He already has it, right? So we can't think that Jesus just wants to manhandle us or have power over us. That's not his motivation. He's also not trying to gain a kingdom. He already has one. Yes, he wants people to willingly participate in his kingdom, but the kingdom of God is already his. God gave that to him. The father gave that to him. So power isn't his motivation either. So consider the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000 people. And I think we're going to see a glimpse of the compassion motivation that Jesus has. Jesus went up on the mountainside to spend some time by himself. He was weary from ministry. People wanted Jesus all the time. Every time he saw people, they had needs that he was trying to meet. So he just needed a little time with his father to recharge his batteries, to get away and spend time with his father and spiritually be refreshed so that, yes, he could keep ministering. But huge crowds of people found out that he went up on this mountainside and they went over to him. They found him. They surrounded him. And what happened? Was Jesus ticked off? Was he annoyed? Did he say, guys, just give me, just give me a half a day for Pete's sake? No, not at all. That, that wasn't what he said. Instead, he healed all the people who were lame and blind and crippled and diseased. And after he healed everyone in this group, it says in Matthew fifteen thirty-two, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, Hey, guys, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse along the way. Out of love, Jesus is concerned about the people that were there with him for an extended period of time. Even though he was tired, even though he was weary, even though he went up on that mountainside to find time to be with God, he said, oh boy, we can't just send these people away. That would not be good. He wants to make sure that they have something to eat so that they will have strength for the journey home. Do you see the compassion motivation that Jesus has? So the disciples, they scrounge up seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. Jesus prays for the food and gives it to his disciples to pass out to the people. At the end, they had seven basketfuls of leftover. 
This crowd it was huge, by the way. This just wasn't a few dozen people. There were 4,000 men alone in this crowd. There also were women and children there. Jesus healed and fed these people, not to gain leverage over them, but simply because he had compassion on them. So they had a need, and Jesus cared enough to meet their needs. Jesus wants to be our king and is motivated to be our king because he delights in us, he loves us, he cares about us, he is faithful or loyal to us, and just extremely compassionate towards us. You know, that's the end of our first question here in asking, you know, why does Jesus want to be our, or, or asking, is Jesus a good king? We're one question in and already it's like, man, I'm just, I'm more in love once again with our king than I have been for, for a long time. I just love that we're seeing his motivation and his personality and his heart for us exuding through these passages in scripture. So that's the end of question one. Next question that we want to ask here is, can we trust Jesus? Yeah, I get it that he loves us and he's compassionate, but still, you know, I just, I wonder sometimes, can I really trust him? I think that's a good question. It's okay for us to ask that. And, and kind of another way of asking, can we trust Jesus, is asking, will Jesus tell me the truth? Because if he's truthful, I know I can trust him. Because if he's going to lie to me, that deceives me. If he's truthful, that means that he's leading me into good things. The answer that I believe to this question right up front is a resounding yes. Jesus can be trusted and he is truthful. One example of Jesus' truthfulness is in his honest and forthright prediction of his own death. Three times in each of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and once in the Gospel of John, Jesus explicitly tells his disciples the truth about how he will be handed over to the chief priests. They will condemn him to death. The Gentiles will spit on him, mock him, flog him, and crucify him. And then on the third day, he will be raised back to life. So he predicts these things a number of times in the Gospels. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus, word for word. If we, why don't you, for kind of a bonus homework assignment, compare Jesus predicting his death in Matthew 20, verse 17 to 19. That's just one instance in where he says, here's what's going to happen to me, guys. And then compare that with the actual events of his death in detail from Matthew chapter 26 through to 28. You're going to see that Jesus is bang on. He tells the exact truth. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't lay it on with a little bit of a deceptive nature or just kind of hedging or anything like that. He tells his disciples the truth. And it really happened. Jesus is a truth teller. It's his very nature. It's the core of who he is. In fact, not only does Jesus tell the truth, he is the truth. John 14 verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. By saying, I am the truth, Jesus is saying, I am what you are looking for. I am the truth about God and life and eternity. You can't find what you're looking for apart from me. Today, we as believers, we have Jesus, his Holy Spirit, living in us as well, which also is a a prolonged presence of Jesus in our lives. Jesus said in John 16, verse 13 to 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not 
speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory. This is Jesus speaking. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So this truth-telling Holy Spirit gets its truth from Jesus. And and Jesus is speaking his truth to us still through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So yes, Jesus is a truth-telling king. And a truth-telling king is a trustworthy king. One one short story here. just Just to talk about the truthfulness that the Holy Spirit works in our lives through Jesus speaking to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Um, Months ago, I met with someone who was telling me that they just were struggling with sleeplessness and anxiety and and some some trouble, just a, a nervousness in their life. And, and they couldn't really put their thumb on it. They couldn't figure out where this came from. And I mean, I didn't know. Uh, they're just coming to me and telling me about these things for the first time. So I said, well, why don't we pray? And we're going to ask God. We're going to ask Jesus if he can tell us through the Holy Spirit where this really starts. And then when we know where it starts, where this anxiety starts or this fear starts, we can figure it out from there. So we prayed and we asked. And I, I sensed... Um, that this person was telling me at the, at the birth of their last child, that's where the fear began. And I, I found that kind of interesting. So I wrote that down in my notebook and, and we, I just listened a little bit longer. And there was like, there was a piece about fear where maybe them being a good parent or having the ability to parent, somehow there was something that was spoken into them that caused them to fear that ability moving forward. So I I was quiet and I listened to them and they told me, this is in their own words now, they said, yeah, you know, it's interesting. God brought me back to the the birth of my most recent child and there's something in there about a fear that I won't be able to parent in the way that I am able to anymore because of maybe sickness or disease creeping in. So isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit revealed something to me about this person that I would have never known. And then they confirmed it by speaking almost the exact same thing themselves. See, Jesus is a truth teller. And he speaks that truth continually to us today through the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to learn to hear his voice. That's why we need to stop and be still asking questions and abiding. If we're all just go, 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 and we say, Jesus, come on, we don't have time to waste, and we don't sit and be quiet, we actually can't receive the truth because we're not taking time to hear it. So praise God that Jesus is a truthful king. And that's a, that's a great thing that we know about him because that means that we can trust him. The last interview question for King Jesus today is this. What do you expect from us? Because kings have expectations, right? They have laws, they have commands, they have ordinances in their kingdom. And, and obviously those things are going to affect us. So we need to ask Jesus, what do you expect from us? What, what is your desire from us? So there are many expectations, to be quite honest, that Jesus has for us as citizens in his kingdom. And we just want to look at three foundational ones quickly here today. An expert in the Jewish law more or less asked this question about expectations that Jesus or God would have of his people when he was face to face with Jesus. This Jewish law expert asked in Matthew 22, verse 36 to 38, teacher, Which is the greatest commandment, which is really just another word for expectation, in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment or once again, expectation. Jesus's first and most important expectation of us is that we love him. And why love? Have you ever wondered that? It's it's okay to ask questions that we think, well, everyone knows that. Well, do we? Why does Jesus want us to love him above everything else? Why didn't Jesus say, my first and greatest expectation is that you would fight for me, that you would join my army and you would fight when I go off to war? Or how about my first and greatest expectation is you would bow down and worship me so that when I am in your presence or when I tell you to, you just bow and you put your face on the floor. Or why not his first expectation? Why isn't it that we would expand his kingdom, bringing him more power and more authority to more parts of this world? Why did Jesus put the command to love him at the top of the list? Well, first of all, remember that we've already heard this morning about the great love that Jesus has for us. So naturally, Jesus, as a loving king, that is his DNA, wants us to love him back. Love that flows in two directions, from one person to this person and this person to the other person, is what a relationship is is really supposed to be mutually loving. Second, if we learn to love Jesus, we will remain loyal to him. And what king doesn't want loyalty, right? Look at Jesus' example. Jesus, he's loyal to us because of his love for us. He never, um, he never fails us and he never abandons us like we looked at in Deuteronomy already. And so this This commandment to love is Jesus teaching us to be like him. So he is teaching us, I want you to love me because in your ability to love me, in your, in your desire to love me, as that grows, you're also going to desire to be more loyal to me. And that means that you won't abandon me just like I won't abandon you. And that's for both of our best interests. So really Jesus's command for us to love is a benefit. By loving him, we stay loyal. By staying loyal, we learn to be uh, or to desire obedience. And by being obedient, we show him that we want to cooperate with the mission and the purpose of his kingdom. Loving Jesus sets us up for success in his kingdom. For me, Romans 13 verse 10 kind of sums up the whole idea of what we're talking about, saying love fulfills the requirements of God's law. In telling us to love, Jesus shows us what is required for the most joyful and meaningful and least frustrating experience in his kingdom. Second, did you know that another expectation that Jesus has from us is that we would put our faith in him? So Jesus' first expectation is love me. And his second expectation, not necessarily in, in order, but just the ones that I feel are important for us to highlight, is that we would put our faith in him. Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Romans in talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. And in Romans 16 verse 26, he says this good news has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. Now think about this term for a moment here. Obedience of faith. Obedience to who? Who are, is Paul saying that I want you to do this so you'll be obedient to me? No. This message or this good news about Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. And who are we supposed to put our faith in? The obedience of faith part? Well, we also put our faith in Jesus. So this verse is saying that putting our faith in Jesus is itself an act of obedience 
to Jesus. In Romans 10.10, we learn that believing in our heart that Jesus is Lord and confessing that belief with our mouth saves us. We needed saving because we rebelled against King Jesus through selfish living. But by putting our faith in Jesus, he saves us from the punishment of our sins and we have right standing with him again. Jesus said in John 16.9, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. So we take our first steps of obedience by putting our faith in Jesus. We might not have even learned to love him yet, but we're learning that he is a good God. And you say, I think I can trust him because he died for me. He saved me in a way that I couldn't save myself. I'm going to put my faith in him. But when we say, no, I can save myself. I don't need Jesus. That is our very first sin. Isn't it amazing that Jesus would command us to do something by believing in him that is for our benefit? I just love the way this works. As we uncover more things, we're just learning how good of a king Jesus is. And the third thing here, the third expectation that Jesus has for us is, uh, is in Matthew 6. We're going to learn about this. Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to people about worry. As people living on earth, we are all prone to worry about different things at different times because we all have needs and and part of our basic instinct is survival. And we think, well, how can I meet my needs so I can have shelter and I can have warmth and I can have clothing and food and all these kinds of things. Jesus gives examples of people worrying about the things, about things that they will eat or about what they will drink or what they will wear, right? Just like our basic instincts. So some of us, we go through times in our life when our, our most basic needs have been a concern to us. We also worry about other things, well, maybe college funds, retirements, medical insurance, our reputation, etc., etc., etc. We worry about all sorts of stuff. But then finally, in Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus gives us an instruction to pay attention to. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Okay, so in in this instruction, Jesus is saying two things. First, he's saying, my kingdom is meant to be your first priority. Nothing else should be more important in your life than living in harmony with the expectations of my kingdom. And Jesus is telling us, don't worry about getting distracted by the things that you need here on earth, because that's what takes away from your focus on my kingdom. Instead, make the interests of of my authority, my kingdom, my power, and my reign the most important things in your life. Know my will and my desires and work to do those things above everything else. The second thing that he's saying in this verse is, relax, I've got you. I'm taking care of you. Remember, I love you. I created you. I created you to have needs. And I'm also the one out of compassion who is going to fulfill all your needs. Now, Jesus isn't saying quit your job and stop working and just wait for a miracle to drop from heaven. That's not it at all. But he is saying, don't spend your life. Don't make the focus of your life worrying about your day-to-day needs. You know, I remember being on road trips with my family when I was a kid. My parents would be driving up front and me and my older brother and my younger sister, we would be just lined up in the back seat of, of our station wagon or, or whatever vehicle we were driving at the time. And my sister always got the middle seat because she was the youngest. And I don't know, that's just what my parents said. You know, Jen, you're in the middle. J.R. Jeff, you got to flank her on the sides. I don't know if they thought she was going to fall out or not, whatever. But nonetheless, it was always us on the sides and my sister in the middle. 
And uh, for me, driving around on road trips, whether they were short and we were just driving an hour and a bit to get to Steinbeck to visit my grandparents, or we were driving to Florida on a family vacation, I was the kid who would fall asleep the quickest, I believed. I would get lulled to sleep by the rhythm of the road. And soon as we were driving and I'm just totally sawing logs, drool would start to kind of trickle out of the corner of my mouth and it would just make its way down my neck and and start to puddle on the collar of my shirt. I don't know. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can't. My head would be bobbing with every bump in our heaving Canadian highways. But nonetheless, it was good times. I love these road trips. But has, has this ever happened to you where you've fallen asleep on a road trip? Hopefully not when you were driving, but maybe when you were in the back seat. Have you ever fallen asleep? Whether it's for 15 minutes or if it's like for an hour or more, you're lulled to sleep by the road and then suddenly you're, you're lurched awake or you come to and you're like, whoa, 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 where are we? What's going on? How long was I sleeping? What did I miss, right? I think that this is kind of the same feeling that happens when we lose our focus on the kingdom of God and we look to our own needs. It's like we fall asleep. And then when, we, when our focus is somehow bumped back onto the kingdom, we've missed something. We've been asleep for days or weeks or months or God forbid, years of our life. We would call ourselves a Christian, but our focus wasn't on the kingdom. It was on our life. It was on us and our needs. And then all of a sudden, we have a difficult time recognizing the kingdom because for so long, we've been focused on something other than the kingdom. We don't recognize our surroundings, even though Jesus is all around us. Isn't it a sad thought to be surrounded by God's kingdom, but not see it because we've just been paying too much attention to ourselves? This is why Jesus says, not necessarily just for his own glory, that's certainly part of it, but for our good Keep the kingdom of God as your top priority. So we've, we've asked three questions so far to help us find out if Jesus is a good king. Why does Jesus want to be our king? We've learned that his motivations are good and they're based on his love for us. Can we trust him? Yes, we can. He's all about the truth. And what does he expect from us? Love, faith, and devotion. All things that he's willing to help us with and fulfill in us as we allow him to. You know, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to ask some more questions. And I think these are going to be really good for us to dig into. Thank you so much for paying attention this morning to the message. We're going to, we're going to close with one more song. Um, and it's, it's called Your Will, Your Way. Uh, we, just wanna, we just wanna sing this with gusto, giving God the glory because we want to do Life. We want to focus on his will and his way in our life. And as we focus on his kingdom, I believe that the perspective that Jesus is going to give to us is going to be good for us and good for his kingdom and good for our church.